Good morning and welcome to another mini episode of Crime Over Coffee. We're your hosts. I'm Abby. And I'm Erica. Today I'm going to tell you a story about a case that is very close to me and is part of the reason that I have an interest in true crime and do the podcast even now. So grab yourself a cup of coffee and let's dive in. Our story starts in March of 2010 and is about Kaylin Dogendorf. A little history about her. She was born December 2nd, 1995 as Kaylin Michelle Dogendorf to Jason and Lynn Beth Dogendorf. By 2010, she had two younger sisters, Tiana and Dreama. This family lived in Pearson, Indiana, and Kaylin attended the same middle school that Abby and I did, which was Whitco. Kaylin was actually a good friend of mine, and we hung out frequently and talked all the time in school. Her and I were always getting in trouble together for passing notes and talking, which I know doesn't sound like me at all. So (laughs) I remember our seventh grade English class, me, Kaylin, and our friend Brock would always pass notes and get in so much trouble from our English teacher. At this time, Kaylin and I had almost every single class together. We were in English together. We were in math together. Uh, we were in choir together. The only class we didn't have was our alternating class, which was science and social studies. That was every other day. But we had all of our other classes together and we had lunch together. Like I said, we, we got in trouble together pretty frequently because her and I were always talking. I was a very talkative kid and she was also a very talkative One thing I remember about Kaylin was how adventurous she was and like outgoing. She never cared what people thought about her and she was so unapologetically herself, which was something I always admired about her. She would come to school wearing outfits that were like so colorful and bright and like something that I never would have had the courage to wear and she just never cared and just was herself and I always admired her for it. On March 17th, 2010, St. Patrick's Day, we were super excited because it was the first day that we were allowed to wear sandals back at school after winter had passed. And her and I had already planned we were going to wear green sandals because it was St. Patrick's Day and you needed green. And it was flip-flop day. We had it marked in our planners and we were ready to go. We got to school and I still remember what she was wearing this day. She had on jeans and a long sweater that was black and white striped. And it was a really normal day. We went to school in choir. I remember she was wearing the same shirt as another girl in our class. And they were like excited about it because at that age, I mean, that's something you get excited about. And I remember at the end of the day, she met me at my locker and we walked out to the school buses together and we had made plans to call each other when I had gotten home. Her and I talked on the phone that night when we got home and we were making plans to hang out that weekend. On Thursday, March 18th, we get to school and I remember that there was just like this different environment there. There were police, there were detectives, her parents were there, and they were trying to figure out where Kaylin was. Her mom and dad had said that she had been home the night before. They had said goodnight to her. And when they went to wake her up that morning for school, she wasn't in her bed. The detectives and police all believed that she was a runaway, or that was mainly due to her age. Kaylin was a 14-year-old girl, and they pretty much just assumed that 
I mean, a 14-year-old girl is always a runaway, which is super unfortunate. But I remember a couple of us were talking with them and we were all like, there's no way. Like, because they were like, did she have any plans to run away? Did she talk to you guys about any of it? And we're like, no, like, that's not Kaylin. She wouldn't run away. But I think the police still had that kind of in the back of their heads. Like, it's possible she just ran away and didn't tell any of her friends. I do also want to say in our area, like where we grew up, there's not really a place to run away to. It's not like in a city where you can run away and like kind of get somewhere. It's just like this tiny little town. You can go and hide in a field. Yeah, there's cornfields. That's about it. So it it wasn't something that happened a lot around the area that this takes place in. Yeah, and I think so. Everybody was just like super shocked. And I remember the school was just, it felt different. And the 19th rolls around and we're at school and there's still no word. And we're all super worried about it. That night, obviously, my plans to hang out with Kaylin were not going to happen. So I made plans to hang out with another friend. And so I went over to my friend Whitney's house. And that night, I remember we kept talking about it and just how crazy it was. I mean, we were eighth graders at the time. I think it was just a lot to try to wrap your head around and to really just process. And then the next morning, which would have been the 20th, I remember waking up to my phone blowing up and there were all of these group messages going out of people texting saying that Kaylin's body had been found. And I remember not reacting right away. I wasn't 100% sure that it was even true because I mean, rumors go around all the time and I hadn't seen anything yet but Whitney and I immediately we pull up the TV and it's everywhere every news station around us is covering it because it's a small town things like this just didn't really happen we're watching that and I remember just not even knowing how to feel in that moment shortly after my mom actually came and picked me up because she's like I think you should be home with me not out with your friend and she picked me up and I remember we were driving home and my family had plans to go out with another family of ours that night. And my mom was on the phone with them and was like, and said, I don't know that we're going to be able to make it. Erica just found out that a friend of hers was murdered. And I remember that that was the moment that I like lost it and that it like set in. And from there on, we just kind of learned more and more information about what had actually happened to Kaylin. The mystery has been solved. Here at Crime Over Coffee, our go-to caffeinated beverage for every episode is Fire Department Coffee. And you can get some as well and save 15% with our exclusive coupon code CRIMEPOD15. Owned and operated by firefighters and veterans, 10% of all their proceeds go directly to helping sick and injured first responders. And with an incredible range of flavors and caffeine strength, it's a company that all of us can easily support. So please go to firedeptcoffee.com and use our coupon code CRIMEPOD15 to support us, support them, help first responders, and get some incredibly tasty coffee along the way. Kaylin's body was found less than a mile away from her home. She'd been reported missing Thursday morning, and I'm going to go into the details of what happened Wednesday night, early Thursday morning. Wednesday night around 10.30 p.m., her dad, Jason, went downstairs to tell her goodnight and he saw her talking on the phone with someone at the time and they knew that she was talking on the phone with a boy which was later declared to be her boyfriend at the time and for the life of me i could not remember the name of the boyfriend and i couldn't find it either so but it was the boyfriend telephone records and her computer records show that she was up until about two o'clock in the morning 
And her mom came in there to wake her up for school around six o'clock in the morning on Thursday. So somewhere between 1030 at night and six o'clock in the morning is when she was no longer in her bed. Like I said, Friday night, which was March 19th, they did end up finding her body. And this was with the help of Joshua Wright. Kaylin's cell phone and all of her other personal items were still found in her bedroom. The only thing missing from her room was her lime green comforter. Joshua Wright came forward and admitted to the police that he had broke into Kaylin's home, raped her, then strangled her, and ended up killing her. He had then drug her body outside of her home, wrapped in her lime green comforter, and had hid her body behind a barn less than a mile down the road. How did he get into her room? So her bedroom was on the basement level of the home, and there were two entrances into her bedroom other than just through the main front door of the house. She actually had um, like a window well in her bedroom that was like right above her bed. And so it's possible that he came in that way. It's not something that was ever released that I knew of, but she also had a door in her bedroom that went up. There was like a set of stairs that came up from that door and like went to the outside. So I don't know which way he came in. But they do know that he came in and then he ended up confessing to it. It turns out that Joshua Wright, there was a woods right behind Kaylin's house and he lived across the woods in a house over there with his dad. He was 17 at the time of this incident and he attended a different school than what Kaylin had attended. Joshua Wright pleaded guilty but mentally ill to the charges, admitting that he had raped and then murdered Kaylin. He was sentenced to 62 years in prison for murder, 18 years for rape, 18 years for burglary, and two years for removing a body, which is a total of 100 years in prison. And he was given 50 years with parole and 50 years without parole, meaning that the earliest that he could be released is at age 68. It was noted that Joshua Wright had been in a lot of trouble as a kid. He had had like a rough childhood with his parents and he needed help and counseling and it was something that he had never got. And unfortunately, it ended in a really sad situation where he took his anger out on an innocent 14-year-old girl. I am actually going to end with a quote from Kaylin's bus driver that she had. She talked a lot about how she was super sad um, with everything that happened to Kaylin and that the bus was just completely different and silent for weeks after the incident. And she ended up hanging a picture of Kaylin on the bus in the back. And her quote was, Kaylin rode with us every day last year. She's going to ride with us for the rest of the year. And she rode in the back of my bus and that's where she's going to ride. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepod at outlook.com. Also, all of our sources can be found in the show notes of each episode. If you would like, you can support us by going to anchor.fm slash crimeovercoffee. Donations are greatly appreciated and assist in making the podcast possible. Other ways to support us include recommending us to friends and family, giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening medium. So again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.